White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 396. It's the Avengers Assemble podcast from the Jarvis heads of AvengersAssemble.net. Now here's your host, Van Allen Plexico. Hello and welcome to the Avengers Assemble podcast brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I am here to talk about one of the most huge, amazing, incredible things in pop culture maybe ever, and that would be Avengers Endgame, the conclusion to this incredible long saga and to the two big movies over the last year. And to talk about that, there was only one person I could turn to because we've talked about them all from the beginning, and that is Jim Yelton. Welcome aboard again, Jim. Does this not feel like it's the end of an era? It, oh, it does. Like, I, I, I know that this is not something I should worry about, but I <laughs> honestly worry that we may not have any other shows that we need to do together. Like this is, this, it's all been leading up to this, not only for Marvel but for us as well. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, well, part of that. Well, we're. I'm going to, in just a second, I'm going to explain how we're going to lay this show out, but I want to address that really quickly because I think that part of that is when Marvel announced Phase 3, what made sense for them to do at that time was to announce like the whole thing at once because the sheer audacity that had, that had never been done, right, to just lay out, here's what we're going to be doing for like the next five years, boom, here it is right in your face. And it's remarkable how close to that plan, I mean, there have been some variances, but it's amazing how close to that plan they actually have ended up going. But for, for, but for this movie and for the next phase, for phase four, I believe, um, I think that they realized the lesson of that, the negative side of that. I think it was great in terms of getting people's attention and smacking everybody in the face and saying, look, we're about to attempt something totally unprecedented, so you better get ready. But now for phase four, I think they've learned that it, it works better to do the opposite and just leave everything a mystery. That way we don't poo-poo and discount some things and say, oh, that just is building up to the later thing, so I'll wait and see the later thing, right? In other words, there were people that didn't go to see some of the Phase 3 movies because they said, oh, that's just setting up Avengers, you know, Avengers 3 and 4. Right. So I think it, I think it makes sense that we know virtually nothing about where all this is going now. Yeah, yeah, and I know we're going to talk about that later, but, you know, one of the things that I think is, you know, and, and I keep looking back at it, like with phase one, it, it was a very simple concept and it was, you know, they didn't have to make this long announcement of their five-year plan because it was, we're going to make these solo movies featuring Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, and they're leading to an Avengers movie. Like it's a, it's a very simple concept for non 
comic book fans to get. Mm -hmm. And then even with phase two, it was kind of the same thing. It was like, okay, well that worked, you know, phase one worked better than we ever could have imagined. So we're just going to make sequels to those movies. And we're probably going to throw in a, a new character here or there, or, you know, a guardians of the galaxy and, and throw out a bunch of new characters in a team up movie. Mm -hmm. Uh but we're we're basically phase two is just leading to Age of Ultron, and mm -hmm. and an Avengers sequel. So we get that, and then like you said, I mean, for them to come out, and we all remember, you know, like I mean, almost as if it was yesterday, the the big presentation that Kevin Feige made, where he announced all of these movies, and they brought out you know, Chadwick Boseman and introduced him for the first time as Black Panther. And they said, we're making a Black Panther movie and we're doing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and we're doing this, this, and this. And and we're doing Civil War, which kind of freaked everybody out. Mm -hmm. And that was like the big freak out moment until he announced Infinity War. And nobody really even knew what that meant, that we were getting an Infinity War movie other than okay, this is all leading to Thanos mm -hmm. getting all of the stones together and having the, the gauntlet, and obviously they have to fight him for it. But we never really knew what it was that it was leading to until we got that movie last year and realized just how epic this whole thing was going to be. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about today is both Avengers Endgame and the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe before, during, and maybe a little bit after is best we can figure. And the way that I think we're going to lay this out is, Jim and I are going to talk a little bit here at the beginning with no real spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, you can listen until we give you the warning. And when we give you the warning, I want you to get the heck out of here, because then we're going to start getting into it. So after I give you the warning, then we're going to go into... Uh, much more specific conversation about the movie overall. Uh, and then in the second half of this episode, uh, late, a little bit later on in the episode, I think we're going to go through and talk about the characters pretty much one by one and what happened to them, how, why, what it means, what it means going forward, how we felt about it. There's a lot to unpack there. And then I think at the end we'll talk about the, the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as best we can predict it or expect it. So if that sounds good to you, Jim, um, for people and, that... Yeah, and yeah. just to be clear, uh, much like I did, I've seen Endgame now twice in the last 24 hours. And in, in both situations and right before we started to record this podcast, I did go to the bathroom before... <laughs> We started the process. I'm in this for the long haul. This is probably going to be like a supersized episode of your podcast. Cause like you said, there's so much to unpack with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I, um, so just in terms of without getting too much spoilery yet, cause we, uh, we want to have a little bit for, for everybody. Um, what were your overall like positive, negative reactions to the movie and how it, how it stuck the landing or not. Um, it's really funny. Cause I was just telling somebody before we started recording that I kind of feel like I'm of two minds about this one because 
I think there's two different ways you can look at it. You can look at it as did it succeed as a a singular standalone movie, even though it's part of a series and even though there's continuing storylines and characters and plot from Infinity War that needs to be tied up. Um, they made such a big deal about how this was a separate movie from Infinity War. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why they changed it from Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2 mm-hmm. to Infinity War and Endgame. Because they wanted there to be a clear line in the sand as far as, hey, this is a different movie. There's different things going on with it. And I think they did a great job with that. But I also think that how I would grade this is different looking at it as the culmination of a 22 film, 11 year saga. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like I feel about the, the return of the King in the yeah. Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, you know, some people will argue about which movie of those three is the best of the three. And why didn't one of the other movies, get best picture. Why did return of the King get best picture? Well, return of the King got best picture because it was the culmination of this thing. Yeah. And it really was getting awarded best picture for all three I in agree. essence. And I kind of feel that way about Endgame. It's like, if I look at it as just a singular movie, um, I don't know that I would grade it as highly as I would looking at what a great job they did putting the exclamation point on a 22 film saga like nobody's ever done before. Right. In terms of just one movie, I would argue it's not as coherent of a straight line story and vision as like the Winter Soldier, Captain America Winter Soldier, for example, which was a very, very tight, you know, cohesive narrative. But on the other hand, this is the return of the king of superhero movies. And it's all over the place. It's sprawling. It has ups and downs. And it's long. (laughs) And um, it can't fully be judged on its own because it is like reading the last chapter of a very big book, you know. And so, I agree. Yeah, and the other thing that I kind of liken it to is... uh, it it's probably the closest we're ever going to get on screen to one of the old style comic book crossover events not the the newer mm-hmm. ones that take 18 months and you know 50 different comics that you have to follow over that 18 month period mm-hmm. to play the story out i'm talking about like when marvel would do those events where it would start off in the avengers you know, say like, you know, the, the May issue of the Avengers would start the storyline off and then it would play out through the solo books of the various Avengers. So, you know, then part two of the story would be an Iron Man and part three would be in Thor and then part four would be in Cap. And, you know, they may even throw like a Spider-Man appearance in there or a Fantastic Four crossover mm-hmm. and then it would come back in the June issue of Avengers to wrap things up to where, you know, you would have the storyline play out over six or eight different issues of a comic, but they all came out the same month or two. Yeah. It wasn't 
drawn out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so you you would have to follow the story, and it was okay if you missed an issue here or there, but you didn't want to miss all of the middle stuff because that was still good stuff too. But even if you only read the Avengers and got the beginning and the end of the story, it worked for you. And all you missed was kind of like the side missions and things. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird because that's kind of how this played out was. It was like a, a big superhero team movie in the beginning. And then in the middle, you've got all of the side stuff going on and then they all come back at the end for the big rousing superhero team up finale. And I, I don't know that anybody could do it the way that they did it with this movie. I, I think you have to have the circumstances that they had to be able to do it the right way. Yeah. Well, and I guess my last, my last thoughts in terms of, op- of just general, no spoiler would be that, um, it's such a character driven thing that it was important that this movie, they, they got a lot of the, I mean this, don't worry, this movie's got plenty of action, but honestly, as, as one like headline said, it was before the spoiler space, you know, like this, the headline said, this movie focuses on the parts we really secretly always liked best about the previous movies, which, you know, the flashy stuff is what, gets the attention but it's those character moments it's those relationships that that really carry the day emotionally and and this movie puts a lot of stock in how much we know these characters now and and how much we want to see them interact with each other in emotional ways it's funny because the first half of infinity war was about putting together combinations of characters in ways that was funny and that was great. I loved it. And a lot of this movie is about putting characters together in ways that are emotional. So there, you know, both movies have a similar approach, but for different reasons because they're at different points in the story. I would, I would argue. So right. Well, let's uh, let's bl- play the alarm here and say all right we're, we're adventuring into the spoiler territory so if you if you haven't watched it yet for crying out loud i mean maybe it's just because you couldn't get a ticket because i know that there weren't many seats left for the 1 a.m showing to 4 a.m showing last night at our little local theater uh it was showing every 30 minutes uh on fifth on our 15 screen theater so um for a three-hour movie that's a lot of screens so yeah yeah so um Let's go ahead and move into our general conversation with spoilers in effect. And we'll see you other guys uh, when you come back later to listen to this after you've seen it. Um, So first up, Jim, there's several main topics I want to talk to you about, but we can go wherever wherever the spirit moves us, as they say. But the first thing I want to talk about is the is the mechanism of the whole story. And then, like I said, we're going to, in the second half of the show, we're going to get into the characters. But I want to talk about the mechanism. This was very much a time travel story. And I want to talk about that for a minute because there's been a lot of stories in the last 24 hours about that where people are trying to shoot holes in it. And and, and they make very valid points. So let me let me lay out my, my you'll pardon the expression, my vision here. And then okay. you, you tell me what you think about it and how you took it. So... Clearly, they knew the 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 writers and the directors, right? Because this is a McFeely and uh, Fergus, whatever, and and uh, Russo. Oh yeah, Marcus and McFeely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things you know. Before we go too deep in the weeds, like 
I know we're going to talk about story and character a lot in this. And one of the things I thought about is these guys, I mean, the, the two yeah. Russo brothers and Marcus and McFeely have worked together now on four movies. Is that right? I mean, they, yeah. Between two caps Winter and Soldier, two Avengers. Two, yeah, two Captain America movies and, and two Avengers movies. So, and it's starting with Civil War, it seems like they were all in sync on this, the story arc that was playing out. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have to add Kevin Feige into that kind of story brain trust. So it's always tough for me uh, when I have conversations about character and story in these movies to know who it is that should get the credit for it. Yeah. You know? And so uh, I'm just collectively, when I talk about story and character, I'm going to give credit collectively to the five of them yeah. and anybody else that would have contributed because I don't know whose idea some of these things were. But I just I wanted to make that clear going in that I'm not trying to shortchange anybody or, or highly praise anybody else. Yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree. I think that what happened was the Russo brothers and those two writers did – Winter Soldier, and while Winter Soldier didn't make a ton of money, relatively speaking, it wasn't a huge blockbuster, I think that anybody with any sense back then looked at that movie and said, this is our future, right? They understood that what they had accomplished with Winter Soldier, because I mean, I did a, I said something on Facebook just a few days ago, I said something about, you know, I've gone back and watched Winter Soldier a couple of times now, and every time I watch it, it gets stronger to me. I It wasn't yeah. one of my favorite Marvel movies at all for the longest time. And it just keeps going further and further up the list because it it holds together so well. And it's such an ensemble piece so effectively. And, you know, I feel like they... I feel like Feige and the other powers that be looked at Winter Soldier and said, this is the blueprint for the rest of the mainstream MCU. This is where we need to go with uh, the next Captain America movie, and this is where we need, which is basically an Avengers movie. So, I mean, you know, if you look at Winter Soldier as a mini Avengers movie, because it, had Black, because it featured uh, Black Widow and Falcon and Winter Soldier and Cap, so there was, you know, even though Winter Soldier was a bad guy at the time, there were four Avengers at least in it, and then, of course, Civil War was an Avengers movie. So they've effectively done four Avengers movies now. And every right. one of them, every one of them, for, to some degree or another, emphasized Captain America, and every one of them was effective and and cohesive. I some of the characters I don't think they get quite as well. Like I feel like the Guardians are not quite the Guardians; they're a little bit off. Gamora's right. fine, but, but again, I don't want to get down the weeds. But but they really get it. Okay, so what I was getting at was. Um, the, the complaint has been the time travel thing. And my take on it is they pretty much acknowledged up front in the narrative of the movie, oh, we're doing a time travel thing, like in all these movies. I love how in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, everybody has seen the same movies we have. Right, <laughs> They said Back to the Future and Time After Time, and they just went down the list. They kept listing Terminator. They listed like a dozen time travel movies over the space of the movie. And I think, and, and, they, and they talked about, well, this doesn't work, and oh, it's not like that, or no, it actually works this way. And I felt like what they were trying to do in, the, in terms of the story there and the dialogue is they were trying to say to us, 
look, don't expect us to play by the rules of some other movies. You know, in other words, we're going to do the things we're going to do here. We're going to do what we do with Captain America. We're going to do what we do with the with the gems. We're going to do what we do with the, you know, with the pin particles and everything. We're going to do what we need our story to do. So don't expect our movie to play by rules you already have in your head from some other movie. And I thought that was a very effective thing to do up front. And I and, and I think that people who are trying now to find fault there, to me, are like people that go to a magic show and instead of enjoying the magician's tricks, they just want to sit there and go, well, I know how he did that. He did this. That's not how that works, you know. And everybody hates that guy. Everybody wants that guy to shut up and let us enjoy, you know. So my opinion is, does, does the time travel in Avengers Endgame make perfect logic sense? Not really. Does it contradict itself? Sure. But time travel in every sci-fi movie often does something weird, and they just work around it. And I'm okay with that. What do you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, because one of the things that I liked about it was that they were very upfront mm-hmm. about it in in the narrative, like you said, because most of the time when you're doing a time travel story... Um, the reason that you have those rules is so that there's some dramatic conflict later on in the story when the characters encounter situations where they have to break the rules, right? I mean, that's literally every Star Trek time travel episode (laughs) deals with them being in a situation where they have to break the rules and change history in some way, shape or form. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what they wanted to do with this was it wasn't the time travel element and changing history was not the element that was driving the plot. It was, it was the exact opposite. You know, they, they didn't want to change history then. Um, What they wanted was the, the MacGuffin of the whole piece, which is the infinity stones. Right. Mm -hmm. So, it doesn't matter whether they change history or not. What matters is, do they get the stones and are they able to bring the stones back? Um, and so when they establish early on and basically tell the audience, you know, it doesn't matter. You don't understand how time travel works. Don't pay attention to any other thing that you've ever read or seen because that's not how it works. Hmm. And in fact, I've seen it now twice and I've heard uh, Bruce Banner's explanation, and I've heard the Ancient One's explanation, and neither one of them makes sense to me. <laughs> and I, it doesn't matter uh, because they told me up front, you know, it's too complicated for you to understand. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think about it too much, you still won't understand it. So just go with us. Uh, understand the fact that the way that you think time travel works is not the way it works. And uh, you'll enjoy it that much better. And, you know, I, in fact, I'm writing a, a series that has time travel as a key element of it throughout the course of the series. And one of the things that scares me to death is that I'm going to write myself into a corner or that I won't think of every 
eventuality that could be affected by the time travel and somebody's going to call me out on it. Mm -hmm. And these guys just gave me the most brilliant explanation ever for why I shouldn't worry about that anymore. (laughs) I just have to tell people, you know, you don't understand how time travel works and that's just the way it is. Yeah, that that error that you see glaring there is not an error. Just pay no attention and move along. Yeah, I I it's because there. This is the first version of time travel I've ever encountered in anything, where you and I think it's because of the infinity stones as much as it is because of the time travel through the quantum thing that they did, and that oh shut up, and that is that um. That is that in their version of time travel. You can go back in time and change things for the better, but the things in the previous timeline you're changing can still remain, right? I mean, that was a big right. ca- that was a that was a big component of what Tony wanted to do. Is he's like, you know, I'm going to allow this where we go back in time and try to fix things, only if I can keep the stuff we have now five years later that I don't want to lose. Well, and that had more to do with, with you know, fixing the snap and, and bringing everybody back. I and and you know the other thing is, and this was a, a big plot point for me too that they didn't want to change what had happened in the meantime. That's exactly because there there is this five year story jump mm-hmm. between the the opening of the movie and you know when you get into you know probably the the back half of act one of the movie uh you know they do this five-year time jump and and they don't want to lose any of that and i think they all realize that you know they need that to be where they're at now in order to be able to fix things so they can't change too much and and plus you know the the big reveal early on that tony has a daughter during that five-year time span that he doesn't want to lose. Yes, and so, exactly. You know, they're, <clears throat> they're not just monkeying around with time travel, you know, in trying to fix the snap. They, they just want to bring everybody back to the, the present era. They don't want to undo the snap, which I thought was an interesting way to fix the problem. I see that that's the thing that confuses me the most, and I'm gonna have to watch it a couple more times to even get it straight. Is that you have two separate things that both make drastic alterations in the time and the universe, and they're happening separately, yet they're happening at the same time. You have all the time travel stuff, and then you have the gauntlet and the snap, and these are two separate things, but they both. Right potentially change the whole universe and so it's it gives me a headache but again it's better to me i mean this movie was not about that this movie was about the characters and that's why i'm saying you know if this was a hard sci-fi movie and the point of the movie was how the time travel worked and all of that then i'd be pissed but that's not what this was right this is a comic book movie and in comic books the science the sci-fi is the hand wavium to make the superheroes do stuff. And so Well and and you know. we'll 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 touch on this later because I have something that I want to bring up at, at the end of the show when we talk about 
you know the the new status quo and where things are going in the future but the the interesting thing to me was like you said they they have multiple ways to time travel mm-hmm. that are introduced in this movie because obviously you have the time stone mm-hmm. that you can use um but then they come up with this way because of Scott Lang being stuck in the quantum realm and you know thinking about how time moves differently in the quantum realm you know they're able to use the quantum realm to time travel as well and that kind of opens up a whole new possibility for them as far as how they can fix this thing yeah um the um okay so you've got the time travel we got the 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 gauntlet um the other sort of overall thing before we get into specific character stuff that I wanted to talk about was once you bring in the time travel, I wasn't expecting, I guess I should have, but I wasn't expecting other versions of characters to come forward. I I guess we can talk about that on a specific basis when we get to those characters, but like what they did with Nebula, what they did with Gamora. uh, And then of course, later what we do with Captain America I, you know, I, well, you know, going into it and, and I guess this would be a good point since we're talking about the time travel element of the story, uh, you know, everybody over the last year since infinity war has wondered about, uh, two characters that died in infinity war. One of them's Loki and one of them's Gamora. And, you know, those were both, you know, kind of you know, the, the big death moments in infinity war, especially Gamora Mm -hmm. and the, the fact that through time travel and the, the various events that unfold during the time travel missions, they have opened the door for both of those characters to be back in some way, shape or form without rewriting their deaths. Like the deaths happened. Mm Mm-hmm. We know they happened. You know, they're not taking that back. That would be a cheat to me. But because of the way Loki was able to escape mm-hmm. in in the past now, uh, and, and we'll go into more specifics about that when we, we talk about character stuff, I guess, but uh, they've given Loki an out, and they, they've brought Gamora back from the past into the present day. Yeah. And so it's basically... Without without changing anything, without apparently without changing anything. That's that's the thing. That's the thing about the time travel in this movie is that Captain America going back and living his life doesn't change anything, and Gamora skipping forward and not living from 2014 through 2019 (laughs) doesn't change anything either. It's it's kind of it's it's a it seems to me well, and it seems to me like and this may be something that comes out later as well in you know some movie down the road that what they're what they're doing is not necessarily time traveling is they're just jumping dimensions and and going to different dimensions and alternate realities and you know it's it's an alternate reality that's exactly like ours Hmm. except for you know one minor instance i mean that was one of the things when the ancient one was talking to bruce about why she didn't want to give him the time stone and how it was going to kind of monkey with 
you know, reality, mm-hmm. you know, she talked about alternate realities and that you needed all of the time stones together in the same reality at the same time in order to keep that reality together. And if any of them left permanently, that that would split off into an alternate reality. And so that made me think, well, are they really time traveling or if they're not changing the timeline with all of their time traveling shenanigans, is it time travel or are they, are they creating multiple realities? And, you know, then my head started to explode and yeah. I anymore. And I, and that's why I love the explanation of, Hey, you just don't understand time travel. Don't think about it. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'm trying to figure out. I think that we're going to get a lot of our material here out of looking at the characters individually. So, uh, is there is there what else do we want to talk about though before we get specific? Because um, I most of what I have to say I think is bound up in these characters, which is just the way this that this movie and this whole yeah. thing has been structured. I you know other than the fact that um, I just from a, a sheer promotional standpoint. Um, I, and they, they said that a lot of the stuff that we had seen in trailers and the promo footage was from early in the movie anyway, but Mm -hmm. I've been dying since yesterday to, to talk about the fact that they opened the movie with the team getting together and going to fight Thanos. Yeah. Like didn't waste any time. They go out, they do it. They beat him. You know, in fact, you know, Thor cuts his head off mm-hmm. and they kill him and realize, you know, I, I love this, just the audacity of the storytelling again, carrying over from Infinity War's ending to the opening of this to where, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. He's one step ahead of you and he beat you and you just have to learn to accept being beaten. Like that to me was genius and getting that out of the way services the whole rest of the story, I think much better than spending time trying to figure out how you're going to beat him because it wasn't about beating Thanos. It was about getting the infinity stones and rewriting the snap or bringing everybody back or however you wanted to do it. You know, the beating Thanos was not the end goal of this movie. Right. 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 And so I, I think the fact that they got it out of the way early mm-hmm. and, and were kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, if you guys all jumped in a ship and went and found him, you could beat him mm-hmm. if, if he doesn't have the infinity stone. It's like, that's the thing. Yeah. Like you have to keep him away from the infinity stones and then, yeah, all of you together can beat him. Yeah. Yeah. That was in, and you know, I got to say, I, 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 I read a, uh, a, an alleged spoiler leak of the story a while back and this was, it was pretty close. It was pretty legit. I think there were a few details that were off a little bit, but I do remember reading that they go and beat him but by then it doesn't matter, and then they have to come back and figure out a way. And I, I, I guess um, 
there, if there's anything else overall structure-wise, I like the idea that the way they use Captain Marvel, we'll talk about specifically about her role in it in a minute, but in terms of the structure of the movie, I liked how, you know, they. I think Feige wanted them to use her, and they were not super wanting to use her because this was the, you know, Infinity War was the movie that was supposed to have everybody in it, and it did, except for her. And right. And then when she couldn't be in it yet, because they hadn't really done the the origin movie yet, they thought, okay, well, we'll put her in this one. And the Russo brothers were kind of like, well, we don't want her in this one because, you know, in in the main part, because this movie very, very specifically was the old guard getting back together for one big mission. And therefore, I like that they did that scene you were just talking about where they go and defeat Thanos at the beginning because that let Captain Marvel show up, play a big role in that, and then um, kind of be gone for a while and then not come back till the very end. So that way she's in the movie in important parts, but she's never in the way of the old guard doing their thing through like the middle 80% of the movie. Well, and and to to look at how Captain Marvel fits into the the dynamic of the Avengers as a team she's basic i mean it's the same thing with thor i mean it's why in in both avengers and age of ultron and 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 in infinity war to some extent like you have to have thor off on a a side mission on his own or with a couple of other people helping him because if he's a part of the main action he's so powerful Mm -hmm. that the fight's over a lot quicker than you want it to be and you know that's where captain marvel is now where mm-hmm. if you inter- introduce her as the most powerful character in the marvel universe that we've seen up to this point well then you have to have her facing even more insurmountable odds in every battle you know and so you do have to take her off the board for huge stretches of the movie in order for there to be some dramatic conflict yeah yeah, that's a, and and I like how they addressed her being gone for a while. At one point, Rocket was complaining about her being gone, and she says, "Well, there's a lot of other planets besides Earth." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you got a point there, you know." So um, that, therefore, I have a feeling that in the next phase, she will not be a mainstay of the Avengers because you don't want, you know, it's 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 just like like you say, it's like the stories we've always seen in comics where you you know we're going to have an Avengers team. That is that is largely street level punchers and kickers and and jumpers, and then if she's in the middle of that, it's like a hydrogen bomb in the middle of karate fighters, you know. Right. So, I I'm looking forward to seeing more of her, and maybe she'll show up as needed, just like Thor. But uh, but yeah, she. Um, you need a different team than what it looks like this team's going to be. Now, to be fair though, it looks like Wanda is going to be. Is, is really darn powerful too. I was surprised at how how powerful she really turned out. She, it seems like every time we see her, she's got a little better mastery of her powers and and seems more formidable. Well, she definitely had a, 
a, a little bit of an emotional re- reaction when she saw Thanos. That's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. And and that's something I, I also have a question about in a minute. But all right, well, um, let's let's uh, pause here for just a second because I want to thank our patrons that keep our programs on the air. And when we come when we come back from that in just a second, we're going to go through the characters and then we'll talk about whatever else he's talking about. Uh, but. Our patrons keep us going. That's the reason that you get to hear these shows. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks and help support our programs and get all sorts of things back as benefits. Over the last uh, few months, John and I uh, of the White Rocket uh, Network, we've given away tons of free books, just mailed them out to people. Uh, we have vid- video things. We have special podcasts that only our uh, our uh, patrons can hear for weeks at weeks at a time. Uh, we have quite a few perks. We have fantasy leagues and various things, if you like that. And here are the folks that keep the electricity on at the Palatial White Rocket Studios currently. Uh, we have to thank Brennan O'Dwyer, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, Carl Von Drunker, and Phil Amthor. And then, of course, there's Winston Body, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, ben, ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. And then we have David Hegler, Robert Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Reynolds Wolf, Joshua Corbett, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, Will Summerford, John McCune, Tom Anderson, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harland, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrecht, William Glenn Matthews, and Joel Beckham. And, and uh, you know, Jim, I'm I'm all I'm getting close to the end now. We've got <laughs> we've got, we have, but it keeps growing, and that's what we need. We've got Theodore Gary, Shannon Butson, Taylor, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, <coughs> Josh Teal, Dave Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, and Dave Powell, and finally Jerry Jeremy Minton, Lane Middleton, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Chris Camo. Darren Pyle, Chris, Wardam Wade, Jason Albrick, Randall Walker, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Russell Milley, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Spanky, Brant Rumble, J.W. Rice, Michael Morton, and Lawrence Kane, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. Thank you guys all so very much. And you may not always out there want to hear the entire list, but you know what? We read the entire list every show that we can because that's how much we appreciate you guys supporting the shows. And for those of you that are not yet a member, you'll get your name called out too. So just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, and uh, you'll see the link to become a patron, or you can just go to patreon.com and look up Van Plexico, Van Allen Plexico, P-L-E-X-I-C-O. All right, Jim. Um, we got it's, it's like sitting through the end credits of Avengers <laughs> Endgame. Yeah, now it's our end credit sting, our, our, yeah, except, our end credit stinger. Except unlike Endgame, we're actually going to have uh, more for you after the yes oh yeah right, well let, let's jump to the end for a second i i approved of them not having a mid-credits or in credit scene for this movie i thought like i felt like this was the one that it would be inappropriate i even though i had a couple of ideas <coughs> kang <coughs> but um or fantastic four but um but what but we did have like was it tony hammering away on his armor to kind of bring it all full circle is that what we ended up getting yeah, and it was just like the the sound effect of it yeah. over the the Marvel logo at the end. But you know, I, I agree with you. I and again, it's kind of like everything else that I talked about earlier. Like this being the culmination of 
you know, this part of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe saga, like I don't have a problem with it because one unless they've really got something worth teasing, yeah. I would rather not have it. Um and and I think they've done a really good job with those mid credits and end credits teasers of doing one of two things, either giving you kind of a, a humorous button at yep. the end of the movie, uh, a la the, the Jeff Goldblum mid credit scene, uh, at the end of Ragnarok, mm-hmm. or it's teasing something that's coming up in the future that they really want to tease. And, you know, considering the fact that the only movie, that we know for certain mm-hmm. is coming up is far from home. And, you know, a couple of the sequels that are in production, but we don't know anything about them. You know, I don't know that they had anything to tease. Right. No, exactly. You don't need to tease far from home because they've been advertising that for a while and setting that up. So that's, everybody knows about that pretty much that, that cares and you're not going to tease the eternal. So like I said, the, the things that I would have liked are things that I think are so far in the future that they really weren't ready to tease them yet. And and we've talked about that on my show, and we kind of threw out some ideas of stuff that would have yeah. been really cool. And it, and it would have been really cool to see a, 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 even just a tease of the Baxter building or a tease of Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. But did we really need it? when they weren't a part of this cycle of movies, you know, it, it, at least this way, I feel like this is a good closure point and everything coming after this is, is new story. Yeah. 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 This was very much referring back to what's come. It's not to come before. Right. I mean, even the, even the sound of the hammering refers all the way back to the beginning. So this movie was bringing things to an end and looking backward. It wasn't really a movie about looking forward, really. And so, exactly. So that's. I think it would have been tone deaf to have anything other than something huge. And I don't think they were really ready for anything huge. But yeah, I this, this occurred to me in the movie, and I thought I'll go ahead and mention it now. Is if there was one thing for the future, I would have liked it would have been. Like after everything happens and at the very end credits, you'd see um, a green and purple clad figure sitting in a dark room looking at a big like holographic monitor and saying, you know, somebody's fooling with the time stream. That's my domain. And then standing up and you see a blue mask and it's Kang. You know, that that I would have liked, but I agree. I would have it would have felt out of way out of place in this movie. It would be I'll, it would be neat on the Blu-ray or something. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll save my my Kang prediction for you for the end of the show because okay. I don't want to blow your mind too early. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we've got so much to talk about, but yeah. I, I have a way that you'll like. All right, all that right. They can do it. So so remind me about it before we wrap so up. So the first thing I want to look at is the characters that we don't have any closure for, and then I've got a list, and we're going to build from the from the for the minor more minor characters up to the big ones. Okay. Okay. So, so first, Loki. We we went from having Loki dead to having a reason for him to be alive again, but with the cosmic cube. 
but then they have the cosmic cube later because they got it earlier. But is this because according to Marvel Cinematic Universe time travel? Because again, it makes my head hurt. Jim, <laughs> is is there a Loki still running around with the cosmic cube? Uh, yes, and I I think the the main reason they did that was because they know they're doing this the Loki show. show on Disney Plus. Yeah, uh, when the streaming service starts, and from what I've heard. The show is about Loki traveling throughout history <laughs> or throughout throughout the universe, uh, kind of getting into trouble. Uh, you know, it to me it strikes me as like if if somebody that was at Paramount or like Rick Berman in the the late eighties, early nineties had said, We need to do a Q spin off of Star Trek. Like that to me is what the Loki show is probably going to end up being is just Loki getting into trouble on various. It's, it's like the, the troublemaker version of Dr. Who. Wow. That would be, I imagine that's the show that they're going to do the, the, yeah. Like the reverse Dr. Who, where he travels around screwing things up. That would be awesome. That, but I, I think that's why we we saw Loki pick literally. up the the Tesseract and just yeah, disappear. Yeah. I, I, although I do like the idea of just calling it like you just said inadvertently the Loki show, where he just like has a studio audience and he people come out and he, he talks <laughs> to them and then he turns them into things with a cosmic cube and has like a band leader and stuff and that would be great that too. Would be great. I like that. All right, so Loki, we we have him back from the dead now, but he's an earlier. This is Loki from really at his worst, right, after the I, invasion I, of New York. It's, yeah. it's not a Loki who's kind of made up with Thor and their buddies and they hang out and stuff, so that's interesting. All right, Gamora. Gamora, I think what they may have decided was that we want it. It's the Sam and Diane from Cheers effect. We want the couple to get together, but once they do, it's boring. So, like, when we, at the beginning of Infinity War, when we first see space, which is hilarious, and we see them on the ship, the only two characters that are singing along to the Rubber Band Man song are, are Peter Quill, Star-Lord, and Gamora. She's completely bought in to Peter's whole shtick now. She's in love with him. She's singing along to his rock and roll songs. And so we get that moment of, yay, they're a happy couple. She doesn't think he's a goofball loser as much, maybe, anymore, and it's all good. But clearly that's not going anywhere, right? That's, that takes all the tension out of it in the fire. So presumably now we have Gamora back from the dead. It's a different Gamora from earlier, and she doesn't have that relationship with Peter. So they have to start over from square one again. Am I reading that correctly? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and I think you're, you're right on point. And in fact, I wonder if, you know, how much influence James Gunn had on what they've done with Gamora in these right. last two Avengers movies yeah, yes. is, you know, if... If you know, it, because I know that he was a producer, and that he was involved in in anything that had to do with the Guardians, they consulted him. So you know, I do think that he probably was like, okay, uh, you know, maybe I I pulled the trigger a little too early on, you know, them being together and everything being cool with the two of them relationship wise. So this is a good way to reboot it without 
you know, really changing either of the characters too dramatically. And I do like the idea of Star-Lord, of, of Quill, having gone through the relationship and lost her. Yeah. And now he has her back, but it's a an earlier version of her that didn't go through the ups and downs of their relationship. And so they're they're at two different points emotionally. Yeah. You know, beyond the two different points in time that they're coming from. Yeah, it's like originally she was like an arrogant warrior and he was a goofball, but now he's a little more tempered by his experience and she's gone and she got that she got a little softer, but now she's back to being hard. And he's not the same. It's yeah. It's will she fall for him as he is now, the way she did when he was then? It's it's an interesting uh, conundrum there. Um, the third and final of my three WTF characters is the Vision, <laughs> right? I mean, we got Loki back from the dead. We kind of got Gamora back from the dead. What about the Vision? I, I walked well, out of the theater going, "Hey, wait a minute! What about the Vision?" But if you think about it, he he didn't die in the snap. No, I know. He, I know why we didn't get him back. But he, so you know, it's it's one of those things <laughs> where because I think and you know, the only reason he was alive was because of the mind stone. Exactly. Right? Oh I'm, yeah, I, I know all that. And so, you're exactly right. But still so the the thing for me that I was wondering is, you know, it goes back to knowing why they did what they did with Loki uh, because they've got the streaming show coming out with him. They're also doing a Wanda in the vision show. Yep. And knowing where we're at now, I'm kind of like, okay, how are they going to bring him back? Because my original thought was that he was going to show up in this movie, but, um, was going to be completely different because he didn't have the mind stone. Yes. And it was going to be kind of like the, the stretch in the comics when he went from the, the multicolored vision that we had grown up with for years and years and years to the completely white version. Yep. When the government kidnapped him or whatever and disassembled him and they had to put him back together. Like, I thought that's what they were going to go for. Mm-hmm. And that we might have seen him in that the big final battle scene. Uh, and then the whatever streaming series they have c- coming up would have explained how he was different and how he was back from, you know, the dead or whatever. And we would have gotten, you know, whatever we needed plot-wise yeah. explanation. But... They didn't do that, and so now I'm curious as to how they're going to have him and Wanda in right. in the future. Well, that was the question for me: was did did Tony's snap undo Thanos's snap, or did he like Bruce was doing, just say I want? these people to be here again like a separate wish okay but you know this is where we have to look at because you know like you said there were two snaps so when bruce's snap brought everybody back yeah but uh, but but did it but see i was let let me interject 
I, my impression was not that Bruce's snap undid Thanos' snap. My impression no. was it was a separate action of returning the characters yes. from before then. And so I thought maybe right. the Vision would be part of that because he was a character from before then. Well, and I also wonder, so, because Bruce does say that he tried to bring mm-hmm. Nat back. That's that, right. That because of what happens to Black Widow, and we'll go into that later, that he tried to bring her back and it didn't work. And I wonder if that was the same thing with the Vision. Like, if they just didn't mention it, but, you know, there were certain people because of their the, their deaths being connected to one of the infinity stones that they just can't come back for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, that raises another interesting, they have to come back in a different method. Like you can't use the infinity stones to bring them back. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that. That, that, that raises another question. Interesting to me too. I'm going to, I'll say we talked, I've I've talked a lot about Kang, which is weird considering he wasn't in this movie has nothing to do with this movie, but this was a time, (laughs) this was an Avengers time travel movie. So cut me some slack here, you know? And that's in fact, what I was going to say is I I don't think we're ever going to get a Kang movie now, because as much as this was a Thanos movie, in a lot of ways, this, these two movies were also kind of a Kang movie or kind of Kang movies because a lot of the stuff that Thanos did, particularly in the second movie in Endgame, was stuff Kang would do, right? Come forward in time or come backwards in time or whatever with an army. That's Kang's thing. So we've kind of seen Thanos do what Kang does. Even though he came from the past to the future to stop... It's hard to put this into words, isn't it? Thanos Thanos at the end of this movie came from the past into his future to stop what he would do in the middle part from being undone in the later part. Yes, <laughs> exactly right. Oh, gosh. But that's kind of a Kang thing. And and if you followed what he just said, you, <laughs> you're probably following along with like a, a spreadsheet or a chart of yeah. some kind. Wow. Holy cow. I can't believe I'm putting words. All right. So the vision, in other words, we're going to need a, we're going to need the vision back in some other way. And in fact, maybe this show will be about her getting the vision back together or something. And by the way, did you notice, I hadn't even thought about this. We've, they've never yet called her the Scarlet Witch, have they? No, they really haven't. They just call her Wanda Maximov and she's just that. Does that have anything to do with, um, Fox having the rights to them or something or, and they're just letting them use, letting her, letting them use Wanda as herself or. Um, maybe, I mean, they, they didn't really use her in any of the X-Men movies, so no. they have, quick, they have Quicksilver and, and Marvel has her. I'm just thinking that maybe it's because it's well, Fox that had both of them and, and Marvel's using her basically with permission of Fox. Right. Well, it was, they're, they're in that gray area yeah. uh, where there's a list of characters that both studios could use yeah but that's and, but but how the crap does does the does the scarlet witch and quicksilver be in the gray area but kang is in the fa- in the fox area that uh. i mean the, the great thing about that is that it doesn't matter anymore yeah well that's true <laughs> like, like since the fox disney merger we don't have to have these stupid conversations anymore you know i'm, I'm firmly convinced that if we went back in time and told teddy roosevelt 
Um, what do you think about trusts and, and one company controlling everything? He'd be like, I'm against it. I'll bust the trust. You say, but sir, Disney will have the X-Men and the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. Well, I'll make an exception there, young man. <laughs> that's, an, that's a monopoly I'll accept. Yeah, so um, it's worth it. All right, moving along here. There's a few that I want to zip through quickly. Nebula. What did you think about her arc, and do we have two nebulas oh my now? Gosh. What the crap's going uh, on there? I have no idea. Well, no, I, th- I think current or present-day nebula killed the nebula from the past that, that came forward with Thanos. I, at least that's my read on it. Okay. So that we, we only have one nebula. Did I see that um, and forget it, or what? It was when they were, they were down in the tunnels with Hawkeye. Oh, okay. And, right. and oh, that's Nebula, right. Because then, because because I, I said to my wife, "Well, now is she going to disappear?" But see, that's not Marvel time travel. Nope, because nope, <laughs> you don't understand the rules of time travel. <sighs> clearly, um, I don't. clearly, I don't. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because there's there's bigger fish to fry, and, right. and there's a long list here. But what Karen Gillan has done, yeah, as Nebula in these last two movies the last two avengers movies and guardians volume two is amazing to me i mean she is so good as that character and her arc i think has been better mm-hmm. than gamora's yeah and and especially this last movie um you know i knew she was a good actress because i loved her on doctor who for years yeah when she played played amy pond but she's she's great in these movies and really brings something to the character of nebula that surprised me in these last two movies it really did yeah i would say that gamora's arc was the first guardians movie and nebula has been everything since yeah and i mean to the point where uh you know like we were talking about with gamora earlier and her her character kind of being reset to where she was mm-hmm. when we first saw her mm-hmm. in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Nebula's not the same person. Right. And they've kind of swapped. They've almost, yeah, they've almost flipped their dynamics in a way, and it's going to be interesting to see the two of them because I love seeing Karen Gillan and Zoe, Zoe Saldana play off of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And now that the dynamics flipped, it's going to be interesting because uh, Nebula's not hundred percent all the way there as no. a good person. I think she no. still struggles, yeah. but she's, she's clearly on the side of good and it's just a struggle for her, but it's going to be fun to see what they do in the next guardians movie. Yeah. With the two of them as, as fans, we say, Oh no, this is terrible. But as, as creative people who see what, other creative people are trying to do to keep things interesting and hopping it's it's a good move right it's a solid move so oh yeah definitely okay the only thing i want to say about rocket i said all along that they should spend half the movie just going talking raccoon but i (laughs) I thought that it was funny how they kind of dismissed that with tony looking at him and going honestly until this moment i thought you were a -A (laughs) build-a-bear because that way they kind of like have a have a Tony joke about it and you just kind of move on and you accept that they all accept that he's a raccoon sitting there talking to him. 
Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, and and again, that's one of those things that they got out of the way early in the movie. Yeah. So they don't have to keep bringing it up all the time. Yes. Yeah, that was good. And he was although, really. Although the one other time that it it did come into play was at the tail end of the Asgard sequence after yeah. he got the Aether from Jane Foster and he's running down the corridor being chased by the Asgardian guards <laughs> and you hear one of them go, get the rabbit! <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought he and Thor, I mean, they had great chemistry in the first movie and so I was overjoyed that they had more scenes together in this one because they really... Although it was a different dynamic this time, it was kind of opposite, and we'll 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 get to that when we get to Thor. Um, okay, next up, I just have these in the order I want to do them in, so bear with me here. When we do your show, we'll do them in your order. <laughs> um, next up is uh, is Carol, Captain Marvel, and I don't think there's a lot to say about her in this movie because in this movie she really was more of a tool, a weapon. You know, she wasn't a full character in this movie like in her own movie. Yeah, and I had forgotten that. They shot all of that stuff First. before they did the Captain Marvel movie. Yeah. That because they shot Infinity War and Endgame back to back, that she was actually playing Captain Marvel in this movie for the first time. Yeah. And so, you know, it makes a little bit of sense that they didn't give her too much. Um, you know, since the the solo movie hadn't come out yet when they were shooting it and they didn't really know what direction they were gonna go with her personality wise i guess um and and what she was going to do given a larger canvas of her own movie Hmm. but you know she was fine uh there there's definitely i i think when we get farther down the road here and we know kind of what the plan is for another captain marvel movie uh you know i think there's a a larger discussion that we may have on either your show or my show about where Brie Larson, the actor fits into the MCU and how much longer she's going to be around given some of the stuff that's happened behind the scenes. Um, but as far as captain Marvel on the screen goes, you know, she, like you said, I mean, she was basically there to be a weapon in the fight scenes. Yeah. And that was about it. Yeah, and we already kind of talked about how they spaced her out, no pun intended again, so that it it kept the core of the movie for the core characters. And, and she's not yet. She's just starting out. But on the other hand, her movie has already made a billion dollars, so I'm sure we're going to see more of her uh, going forward, and I'm very happy about that. I like her a whole bunch. I liked her haircut, too. I thought that was cool that she showed up and Rocket, made, Rocket made fun of her with it. <laughs> but... um. But yeah, so that's uh, that's going to be interesting to see going forward what they choose to do with her. Uh, next up, Wanda. We talked a little bit about. Um, I I guess you know it's 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 kind of cheating that we know there's TV shows coming up, so Loki and Wanda have and Vision have something in their future. If if we didn't know about the TV shows coming up, I would really be going like, oh my gosh, you know, Vision's dead forever. What's Wanda going to do? Are we going to get House of M? You know, I mean, where Wanda goes crazy and kills all the mutants or makes them never happen, basically. But that turns into another Infinity Gauntlet snap, and we don't. I don't think anybody wants that. I don't. I don't think we're going to see House of M. Do you? No, and you know, I keep hearing people say, "Hey, that needs to be the next big event that they lead to." And I keep thinking to myself, no, because that's not the direction the MCU is going. Right. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, 
because of what I think they might be doing. But I also don't, I mean, one, there's not any mutants in the MCU yet that we know of. I mean, they're, they're not a widespread thing to where doing house of M and getting rid of all the mutants or having the mutants rule over humans, uh, and, and elevate their status makes any sense story-wise. Uh, they've already said that if, as far as the Fox properties that they're getting back in the merger, that we're probably at least five years away from seeing any of them. So, you know, I, I don't see the point of doing anything with Wanda on that scale. I think, I think they're going to use her and vision in the streaming show and see how that goes. And then we'll kind of see what happens if, and when they ever do an Avengers movie down the road. Yeah. I, I, I love that character so much though in the comics. And I love what, uh, what the actress has, um, has done with her. And it's, it's like a whole new character in some ways and has tons of potential. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. Uh, we didn't see a lot of the black Panther in this one. He got to do kind of a relay thing toward the end there. That was cool. And he got to show up and do the little chant again. It's always fun when, yep. when T'Challa and his crew show up and do the, uh, do their chants. It kind of gets the things rocking there. Um, but he wasn't a big part of this one. He got to do a lot more in the previous movie. So that's fine. But, um, I don't have any particular thoughts other than I'm looking forward to Black Panther 2 down the road. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's funny because, you know, I think we're going through uh, a section of your list of characters where it's all the people that showed up at the end that were dusted in the last movie. And they showed up for the big final battle scene, and it was kind of like, oh, hey, that there's that person. Hey, there's that person. There hey, a lot it's of good that. to see this person. Yeah. And, you know, it it's just, hey, let's remind everybody of the characters who are going to have sequels coming out in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had to get them all in for one last, you know, big battle at the end. And I got to say, I liked the big battle at the end of this movie a lot better than the Wakanda battle. The Wakanda battle... The, the, the pro- I think the problem I had with the Wakanda battle was that it was so tailored to fit the situation they needed it to fit. And, and you well know, and my listeners out there, regular listeners know, that one of the things I really hate in stories is when events are tailored around what the writers need to have happen, because it's, obvi- it's usually obvious. And I felt like the whole Wakanda battle was like, well, we need Thanos to show up. We need a bunch of aliens to fight. We need the street-level guys to have somebody to fight. So let's give him some little aliens. You know, and eh, it just um, it seemed contrived, I guess. Whereas the battle at the end of this movie seemed very organic and very necessary, and um, and and it didn't seem overly long either. Whereas there were moments I wanted to take a nap at, in parts of uh, of the Wakanda battle. So, um, right. well, and and the difference between the two also was in the battle in Wakanda, uh, they were trying to give Shuri time to remove right. the infinity stone from vision, which they were going to destroy anyway. The, the only difference was they didn't want to kill vision doing it. Right. And at any point that that pitched battle got too desperate, somebody could have killed vision mm-hmm. and ended the whole thing then and there. But they didn't because they didn't want to kill vision in this battle. It wasn't a a time sensitive issue. It was they have to stop him, 
because if not, he's going to destroy everything now and start over. So we have to make sure that we stop him this time. And by the way, I keep forgetting that at the end of this movie, all the Infinity Stones are back. Back, starting the whole thing all over again. The only difference is that Thanos is gone. And so couldn't conceivably the Mind Stone end up back in the Vision again? Could. Why not? But, but, well, yeah, because I guess that, yeah, because Ultron was the one that used it. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the way Vision can come back then. Yeah, it was in the it was in Loki's staff. I can't remember how Ultron ended up with it, but it's the one that was in Loki's staff and then uh because he stole it from cuz Tony and Bruce were oh yeah. studying it. Yeah. And he stole it. So get, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's the way the Vision can come back. Yeah. There you go. I I keep I yeah. I got to go back and watch Age of Ultron again, I guess, some point. <laughs> I don't really want to, but I guess I got to. Um, okay, Hulk, uh, Bruce. I love Bruce so much. I was kind of disappointed that we had the She-Hulk version of uh, of, oh, of Bruce yeah. through this entire movie. We never actually saw Mark Ruffalo as Bruce. Of course, in the last movie, we never really saw Hulk, except at the very beginning. So it was weird how we had nothing but Bruce in the first movie and nothing but smart Hulk in this one. Yeah, and I was a little disappointed with that because I thought the best performance Ruffalo's given in any of these movies was in Infinity War. Yeah. Uh, I, ju- I just loved Bruce struggling with the Hulk not wanting to come out. <laughs> right. And I, and I loved that. Um, and then for them just to basically like explain it off screen. Mm-hmm. As, hey, you know, during the last five years, I figured out how to merge the two. And so now I'm I'm as strong as the Hulk and I've got my own personality and brain. So, you know, he, it's it's weird that they explained it that way. He did a good job, though, of being a little different than just regular Bruce. You know, in other words, he was a little more gregarious, certainly with the I mean, the autograph, the, the selfie thing was was the most obvious. Well, but there were other moments where he would be much, you know, he wasn't the shrinking violet that Bruce often was. Well, because he's he's happy. He's in control. Yeah. And, you know, not that being the Hulk was would have been what he chose for himself, but he's at peace with where he is. In fact, you know, uh, one of my favorite moments when they go back to the battle of New York is when cap says to him after they see the, the past Hulk, you know, just smashing the Chachari left and right. Mm-hmm. And he looks at Bruce and he's like, maybe you do want to smash some things. <laughs> he, he tries <laughs> and, it very half heartedly. Yeah. And it, you know, when he walked up and kind of just like tapped the, <laughs> the taxi and then was kind of like, Grr. I mean, it, that was funny. All right. Th- that reminds me, cause there are a few scenes I wanted to talk about. I got to pause things here because we've got to talk about, one of the greatest moments in the movie, I was going to say there were several applause moments. The, 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 let me first get this out of the way. There were, there were two characters when they appeared on the screen, the theater applauded. One was Captain Marvel early on, and the other was Spider-Man when he came back. I think people were really waiting for Pete to come back, and he did, and everybody's like, oh, Peter, you know. But the moment where 
I like jumped out of my seat and hooted and hollered was when they got on the elevator in Stark Tower. Oh my gosh. I'm like, that are you kidding me? That was I so would... genius to me when I realized <laughs> yes, what they were doing. What they were doing. When he when he gets the call from Tony saying, you know, the scepter's going down on this elevator and I was like, is when the elevator doors opened and I saw the all of the shield guys in there, I was like, Oh my God. Including crossbones. Yeah. Before the, he was the before. Russos. Cause that was one of the signature scenes that kind of made the Russos. Yes. Was them choreographing and shooting that elevator fight, which is still in my mind, one of the greatest fight scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. And I thought to myself, they're not going to try and top themselves, are they? <laughs> like, are we going to get an elevator fight? Yes. Oh, my God. And then just the the moment when he leaned over and said, Hail Hydra, I was like, oh, that's genius. Oh, they suckered me in so hard. Yes. <laughs> and it even tied into that recent controversy a year or two ago where Cap said that, remember? Yep. In the comics, I'm like, oh, man, this is like meta on so many levels. They're killing it. Yes. But I hooted and hollered at that, and I was the only person in the theater that reacted to it. And I'm just thinking, you bunch of heathens, don't you understand what you're seeing genius right now? <laughs> you yeah, are yeah. witnessing well, inspiration. Come on. That and the, the, the bit not too much after that, when he comes across his past self on the walkway and the, the yeah. past version of cap thinks that it's Loki. Yeah. That, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, are we going to, Oh my gosh, we're getting a cap on cap fight scene. Like this oh, is going to wow. be amazing. And it was, and that whole fight was just so good from the moment that past cap says I can do this all day. And <laughs> you know, our present day cap said, yeah, I know. <laughs> That was great, and he used I mean, Evans was so good in that moment. Mm -hmm. And he uses the the knowledge of the Winter Soldier to uh, to cause him to, to to hesitate or whatever, and get his advantage there. That was I thought really good too. And also about the elevator scene, I loved how the Hulk got left out and had like put a fist in the wall. He was so mad he had to take the stairs and complain about it. And then he when he finally gets to the bottom of the stairs, he messes everything up. I mean, the choreography of all the moving parts in that entire segment of the movie was really remarkable. Well, and the just the idea because that to me of all the time travel stuff was my favorite. Uh, because of, of the fact that I've seen the adventure so many times yeah. and, and still think it's one of my top three favorite Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it shows us stuff that happened after the, f the fight was over with Loki and yeah. with, with all the other characters yeah, that we hadn't seen before. That, you know, like the fact that Robert Redford shows up out of nowhere yes. as Alexander Pierce. And I was like, oh, holy crap. Yeah. And it makes me want to know how the actual scene would have gone back in the original if they'd included it, you know. I mean, did, right. did, who ended, I mean, did, did Robert Redford end up with the, with the, whichever was in the box or? Well, no, because 
at the end of the Avengers, they show. Oh yeah, uh, Thor leaves with Thor it. using. He, he leaves with the Tesseract and with Loki. Yeah. So the whole time they're having that conversation, I'm like, I because I agree with you. I wondered what the original mm-hmm. standoff was like and how it was settled because Thor leaves with both of them. Well, when it happened in the original movie, they hadn't yet probably laid out all the stuff with Hydra and Robert Redford's right. character and all that, so they didn't but, even worry about it. But now we know it had to have happened. And and the thing with the scepter that was cool was that the the shield agents who were actually Hydra agents yeah. that took possession of the scepter, it explains something that I've been wondering since Age of Ultron which is how Hydra and and Strucker got the scepter because they have it at the very beginning of Age of Ultron. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's a story point where the the Avengers are talking during the fight scene about how they've been looking for it yeah. ever since the the Battle of New York that it went missing. And I never picked up on it. Yeah, I didn't either. So I'm watching this movie, you know, six years later or whatever it is. I'm like, oh, holy cow. So the agents that were in S.H.I.E.L.D. took the scepter. Dude, these these people making these movies, made this movie, they're playing five-dimensional chess on us. And I think a lot of it is just sort of retroactively. I don't think a lot of it was planned. I think they just sat down and said, this is why this happened. And it fit, you know. Stuff just makes sense. Um, I, I, I'm going to move to now to Scott Lang. Oh, by the way, in, ter- in terms of Hulk, so w- are we, I guess we're going to have more Hulk, right? I mean, he's not, he was disabled a little bit, but, um, yeah, I'm sure his arm will heal up at some point, yeah, but and we'll, and we'll get more Hulk. Okay. Scott Lang, my favorite, I honestly, I think the best part of the first half of the movie was all the Scott when it was the stuff where Scott was trying to figure out what happened. I, I really got sucked into that. The whole, you know, we're, we're discovering, the five year later world as he discovers it. And he was a good character to kind of, you know, I thought that was genius when he disappeared into the van at the end of, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I never in a million years, I thought, Oh, well this, this could be, you know, a component in, in infinity war and, 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 and the second one, I never dreamed right. that he would be our point of view character through so much of this movie though, because of that. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I've always liked about Scott Lang as a character in the MCU is uh, kind of one of the things that I like about Scott in the comics, and that's that he's he's just smart enough, mm-hmm. but he's not one of the super big brains like a, a Tony Stark or a Bruce Banner or a Reed Richards. Right. Or, you know, he's not on their, or Hank, right. Hank Pimp. You know, he's not on their level, but... He's smart enough, like, you know, the rest of us, to figure stuff out. He just can't take it to the next level. And so, you know, like you said, he's a good point of view character for that reason. Because he can come up with things that drive the plot and drive story, but he can only do it so far without needing some help. Yeah. Yeah, and he he works really well, and he's funny, but he can also be poignant, and he's got a lot of sadness about him. You know, he's he's like the 
he's like a slightly less goofy Peter Quill, you know, in a way. Whereas that he he uses a lot of humor to cover up a lot of his pain, but it's it. But yep. it sh- I think the pain shows even more on him than it does on on Quill, and we we know why, right? Knowing the character, so I wanted to point out, Jim, <laughs> a rat saved the universe. I know. I you know I realized that the first time I saw it. And the the second time through, I paid attention to it and, and realized, yeah, if not for that rat, Didn't that have things would not have turned out the way they did. Yeah, in the the timing of everything came down to that rat. The timing of everything, the fact that it's five years later and not a year later, six months later, twenty years later. If that rat had shown up at some other time, we'd have gotten a very, very, very different... In fact, that's probably a few million of those versions that, that Doctor Strange saw. <laughs> right? It was just the rat not hitting the switch at just the right time. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange is like, uh, yeah, this one looks promising. Oh, the rat went the other way. Oh, crap. Then he rewinds it back. Uh, oh, the rat got eaten by a cat. Oh, and he rewinds it back. Yeah, so that's probably a lot of what he was saying. That's funny. Um uh, let's see. So I'm sure we're going to get more of him. I think it really comes down to if the actor, what's his name, wants to do more. I, what I always hear is that he wants to do another one if they come up with a good story. And he's very involved, Paul Rudd, very involved in whether they do him or not. You know, So it's kind of like if, if he and whoever else sit down and come. It's very much like the way that Hemsworth is with, uh, with, with Waititi. And that crew, yeah. right? If 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 yeah. they don't have something to do, he doesn't want to do it just to do it. And I and I totally get that. But I hope we do see him again. But honestly, well, if, like, if, if they ride off in the sunset, then more power to him too. You know. You know the other thing about the the Ant Man movies specifically is uh, you know and and it's near and dear to our hearts because of outside comic book things that we love. Like they're both of those movies are heist movies. Yeah, I mean they're yeah. they're both in that heist genre, and unless they they take a a left turn for the next one, if they're going to do a third one that's in that same genre, you know, is it going to be the same sort of thing, or are we going to get tired of seeing that kind of a movie with and, that character? And this one turned into that too for a while. It was the time heist. Yeah, which is what I which is what I thought was funny when yeah you know they started calling it time heist. I was like. Oh, I know Van was going to write that book one of these days, but now he can't. Now I can't. Right, it's been done. So that's, but that's fine. I'm glad I got to watch a big, big budget version rather than a little cheap version. Um, um, oh, I want to mention again as these things come to me. What did you think about that great moment where all the women got a big scene? Got the got the got the uh, the swagger. The the um, what do you call it? The uh, when they had the Mercury Seven, the right stuff moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. That was so um, cool. I don't know. I, I don't want Brie Larson to be mad at me if I <laughs> say that it was just okay. But right, right. Um, you know, the the thing to me is I kind of wish it had been a little bit more organic, and I, I don't know how they could have done it. Yeah. Uh, with without it seem seeming like that contrived, you know female power moment and you know not that there's anything wrong with it and it it was a good moment to see all of those characters get like a hero shot together uh and i thought it was cool um but i i just i worry about it was whatever backlash yeah i mean 
it was it was contrived just for the sake of of having that moment and it's the same reason that when i watched the first avengers movie and we get that that shot of the six of them in a circle right and you know joss joss whedon does that great camera move around the whole group as they're coming together i mean it's a cool moment but I mean, that's all it is, is a yeah, cool moment. Exactly. It's, it, Which know, we, there's we, not a reason for that no. to have happened. <laughs> Which we got again in this movie, by the way. Um, yes. A replay of it. Yeah, no, I, and it's funny. I wish they, if they'd frozen the frame for just a second, they could have put up Stan Lee's The Women of Marvel Comics. <laughs> Remember that old book that he did? So it kind of, it kind of went yeah. with that. Uh, let's see. Next up, we're getting to the real meat of it now, is Thor. Oh my goodness, Thor. I mean, clearly Chris Hemsworth has told Marvel, I only want to play Thor from now on if I can be funny and wacky and goofy. I don't want to play like, you know, gleaming teeth uh, quarterback Thor anymore. I only want to be wacky, goofy, silly Thor. And it works, honestly. It does. And that's why I'm like so torn about it because I'm, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, hey, that's not my Thor. Yeah. And, but on the other hand, I'm like, but he's so gosh darn good doing that version of Thor that I don't want to not watch it. Like, it was one of the reasons why Ragnarok was so good. It's you know he he was good in all of the stuff he had in this movie. Uh, you know, even if he wasn't playing, you know, my idealized comic book Thor. He's played so many different versions of Thor now in just a handful of movies. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, and I and I loved the fact that they had him leave with the Guardians at the end of the movie. Yeah, the Asgardians. Like, it, it, you know, it, it makes me wonder if you know James Gunn said, "Hey, I want Thor in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah, it's like, well, do they are they getting him off the Earth because he's you know too powerful with the team they're going to have left now, or do they just think he works really well with the outer space crowd, or both, or I don't know. But that's that's fine with me. I mean, we, you know, given given what happened to Iron Man, given what happened to Captain America, given what happened to Black Widow, you might as well let Thor go do something else too and just start over with a new guard. You know, so that's I'm I'm fine with that. Um, but he he. I did keep thinking they were going to find some magical way to restore him to his physical specimenness, and they never really did. He was he was pot-bellied, giant bearded Thor, though, even to the funeral. Oh yeah, yeah, even even to the end, which was fine by me. Yeah, uh, because I I do think it leads if he's going to stick with the Guardians through at least volume three of their movie series. Uh, I think doing a reveal that he's toned back up <laughs> is going to be a great joke because of of how he and Chris Pratt kind of interact with each other anyway. Um, next up, I have a pair, Hawkeye and Natasha. We kind of got to look at, the, at Clint and Natasha together because yeah, they were yeah. so bound together in this story. And, I, you know, I mean... I felt all along that what was going to happen was going to happen just because Hawkeye had his family and they've always made such a big deal out of his family. And it's like, how would you, how could you, how could you do what you did at the beginning of the movie where you establish he's the only one left without all of them and then turn it around and bring all of them back and get rid of him? You know, it just seemed like that, that 
that would be very awkward, whereas Natasha didn't really have anybody other than her superhero family, and it made sense to that for that character to feel like she should do that. You know, so I, so I thought it made sense, but it still it was still awfully painful. Yeah, and it was one of those things because I think she even said, you know, this is my moment. Like this, mm-hmm. I knew that I was going to be the one to do this, which means, you know, when they were doing that whole montage of them planning the the various missions and getting all of the information they could about the times, the, the various infinity stones and where they were, um, it's almost like she decided then that she was the one that had to do it. Mm-hmm. Like they knew somebody was going to have to sacrifice something. Yeah, that's why she had to go because she was the one that had the the least amount to lose, I guess. And did I guess the fact that Thanos was willingly sacrificing Gamora and so he got the stone, whereas Clint was not willingly sacrificing Natasha, but yet he got the stone. So I guess intent doesn't matter so much as just you're the other person there. Yeah, and that that you're losing something that you love, and so is in, Nat- in the process. Did did that free the Red Skull, and is Natasha now the guardian of Vormir or whatever? Or I don't know. I don't. Well, understand. I wouldn't think so because Gamora didn't take his place. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But is Natasha in the Soul Gym now? I don't know. That's a good question. And see, here's the other thing, because as we were walking out, you know, we were kind of discussing things, my wife and daughter and I, and my wife said, so, like, Black Widow's, like, dead, dead. Like, she's not coming back. And I said, well, they're making a movie. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're doing the Black Widow solo movie. And she said, well, that's got to be a prequel, doesn't it? Yeah. And I said, does it? I mean... <laughs> It's it's the Marvel Universe. Like yeah. they'll come up with a reason to bring her back if they want. If to. they want to, they will. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be sitting around two thousand six or so. But um, to put it closer to the Cold War and the Soviets and everything. But um, but she'll be older then than she is even now. So it just seems right. odd to have the same actress. Yeah. Well, I don't know. But yeah, I, I I'll just I'll just end the Natasha conversation for my part by saying that Scarlett Johansson took a character I never I didn't even I didn't even not care about Black Widow. I mostly disliked Black Widow cuz I never enjoyed her in the stories back in the day and I always was disappointed when I get an Avengers comic and she would be in it and I didn't really enjoy the champions yep. either when she was in it just because I just I just never particularly got her character. Looking back now and knowing how she was in the 60s when she basically was like Hawkeye's superhero wife that he bossed around and she's supposed to stay home and bake cookies while he's out with the Avengers. I can much better appreciate the black widow of the seventies and eighties that I saw. That being said, what Scarlett Johansson did with her was make her one of the more interesting and compelling characters, even though she really shouldn't have been, I don't think. And that's a credit to her. Yeah. I, I think with as, as little, as they've given her to work with, she's done a lot. Yeah. And I, I think it's a good thing that they're finally moving forward with a solo movie for black widow. I wish that they would have done it sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think 
Scarlett Johansson, I think, deserved being the first female yeah. solo hero. It, it should have been and, her before. Not, yeah. Yeah, not taking anything away from Captain Marvel as a character or Brie Larson as a person, but it it should have been Black Widow. Yeah, no, and, agree. you know, for whatever reason, they didn't go that route until now, but I think it's going to be fun to see what she does with that character on her own yeah. uh, without all the guys around her. Yeah, as a huge Captain Marvel of every version fan, I will totally agree that it should have been Black Widow. Um all right, well, that gets us to the big two now. Uh, there may be some other characters we want to throw in, but in terms of working our way to the to the big ones, uh, let's look at Cap first because he's still alive at the end of the movie, sort of. I mean, in terms of being a living person, he's not a superhero really anymore. What did yeah. you make? What did you make of what they decided to do with him? Well, first, well, let me say this first. This was a Russo brothers film. And they know how to use Steve Rogers. They know how to use Chris Evans. They know how to use Captain America. And they really did. So in most of this movie, Cap was awesome. They, I mean, I've, I've said before, I didn't like Captain America in the first movie, the first Captain America movie, and I didn't like Chris Evans as Captain America in the first movie. Winter Soldier completely changed me around. That was the I didn't even like him that much in the Avengers movie, the first one. I thought it was okay. Yeah. He was better. Yeah. Winter Soldier is where I said Chris Evans, oh my gosh, is Captain America. He is absolutely Captain America now. He's he's redefined the role in the way that Downey redefined Tony Stark. And I thought he was great through most of this movie. So and I mean that's the highest compliment, by the way. I can play these pay these actors in these movies is to say, I had a vision in my head for my entire life since I was eight years old of what these characters were like. And when Robert Downey comes along and plays Tony Stark totally differently than that, but does it so well, I say, okay, this is now Tony Stark. Chris Evans right. came along and said, I'm doing Captain America like this. And for a couple of movies, I said, no, no. And then Winter Soldier, and I said, you know what? Yeah, you are now Captain America. The one in the comics is now wrong. You are now Captain America. <laughs> and that's the highest compliment I can give. Chris Chris Hemsworth and Thor, they're just two separate things. I'm not willing to say that what yeah, Chris Hemsworth yeah. is doing is, is the definitive Thor. That doesn't take anything away from him. He's great. It's just I haven't said he's now Thor. But Chris Evans is Captain America. So what did you make of Captain America up until the very end of this movie first? Well, it's it's funny, you know, and this is one of the reasons why you and I have to do this, you know, long conversation about this movie and, and the culmination of all this because we've been doing it for seven years now. Mm-hmm. You know, at least once a year we get together and we talk about the Marvel movies. And, you know, I remember conversations where you were iffy about Chris Evans early on. And I was, I mean, I liked him. And and first Avenger, the, the first Captain America movie is still in my top five of all the Marvel movies. Mm. Because I'm a sucker for period pieces. I'm a sucker for that time period. And... I loved what they did with the character. And so seeing him evolve, because I was, I was of the same opinion as you were in the first Avenger. He's not 
my Captain America. He's not how I envisioned this character as a kid. And he wasn't that Captain America in the Avengers. And I felt like as a, a character in this series of movies, Steve Rogers was becoming that Captain America, but he wasn't there yet. Right. You know, and the, the phrase I always throw around when I talk about it is he wasn't a leader of men. He was he was not somebody that, you know, in the comics, whenever something big happens, you know, whether it's Galactus showing up or Secret Wars or, you know, mm. any earth-shattering event where all of the heroes join forces. Right. Captain America's the guy they rally around. And he's the guy, even though he's not the most powerful, not the strongest, not the fastest, not the smartest, he's the guy they rally around because he has the the one quality that they all have as heroes, that heroic quality, he has that more than anybody else. He's He's got the will to keep going no matter what the odds are. Yeah. And we've seen it happen time and again in the more recent movies, but that, you know, that ability to take, you know, whoever it is, Tony Stark, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, the Fantastic Four, in you know, I'm talking in the comics, mm-hmm. you know, everybody silver surfer shows up he defers to captain america like there's nobody in the marvel comics universe that would not be willing to take us a backseat to captain america in leading the heroes into battle and it took him a while but i think you're right i think winter soldier was kind of the turning point and then you you saw it a little bit more in Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. and you really saw it in Civil War and going into Infinity War, where you know he was a principled man making principled choices, and he wasn't going to back down no matter what the odds were against him. And he wanted the other heroes to join him, but you know what? If it was just him on the battlefield by himself, he was going to fight the fight. And we saw it in this movie. Like, we saw the moment. Yes. And Hey, you finally I, got your big moment, Jim. I know. <laughs> and can I tell you, I mean, I said that I've seen it twice in 24 hours. Both times, I got chills. Yes. Both times. And the second time, I knew it was coming. And I still got chills. And it was funny because I actually ruined the moment a little bit for my wife. Because when I saw it by myself yesterday... I I got home and she asked me if I was happy and I said, yes. And she said, well, that's good. And I said, yeah, I didn't have to go to Hollywood and beat anybody up. (laughs) And she knew exactly what I was talking about. And it (laughs) didn't even dawn on me because I have threatened for, I don't know how many years. Yes, you have. If if it wasn't Steve Rogers saying Avengers assembled, (laughs) I was going to punch the Russos in the face. And, you know, luckily I don't have to punch them in the face now. And it was such a, a great moment but the moment leading up to it was just as cool 
of, you know, seeing Steve pick himself up and cinch up the strap on the shield that was broken at that point. Yeah. Holy cow. We, we saw the shield broken. I know. I was like, I have issues with that, but okay, that's fine. For, for dramatic purposes, to quote Tony when he leaned on the, the urn of the universe or whatever, I'm going to allow it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm, I'm leaving out like one of the coolest moments in, in any Marvel movie ever. Like Steve Rogers used Thor's That's hammer. Yes, that was my other point I want to get to with Cap. Is that he didn't just pick it up. He didn't just throw it. He used it for like an extended period of yes. time. And kept it with him when he had to go back in time and return the Infinity Stones. But... <laughs> yeah, uh, that was interesting. Yeah. You know... I, I saw him do that before the moment where he cinches up the strap on the shield and gets ready to face Thanos and his horde by himself. And, you know, that moment was more spine chilling to me than him using Thor's hammer. I mean, that's how amazing the moment was. And the, the genius of the Russos to set up the moment by having and it was very quiet like the the sound mixing everything came low and it was a, a quiet moment of of steve just kind of pushing himself up cinching the strap up and getting ready to to fight and then you hear sam the falcon come over his earpiece and that was an amazing moment to me yeah like I, and, and the fact that they did the call back to the the winter soldier with falcon saying on your left yeah. and then you see the portal open and i was like oh my god this is i'm gonna cry yeah like this is so good um you know that to me is steve rogers that to me is comic book captain america on screen and evans has been so good these last two or three appearances as captain america Yes, that and we got the cover sort of of Avengers JLA number four, except it wasn't Superman, but it was Cap holding the shield with one arm and the hammer with the other, which is what Superman does in that on that great cover with George Perez of Avengers number Avengers JLA number four. The other thing about Cap to finish it out, I want to talk about what he decided to do at the end, but I like the idea that Bucky and Sam have gotten to be friends now instead of you know they were enemies there for a while. And then there was that great bit in Civil War, I think it was, where he's like, I hate you. <laughs> but yes. um, but they've come around, and I thought it was interesting. We can talk about what Cap did, but, but let's also, before we do that, his decision to kind of hand the shield over to Sam seemed like not just giving him the shield, but kind of passing the torch, right? And I, and I kept thinking, you could have gone either way, right? You could go with Bucky, you could go with, uh, with Sam, but it... it it seemed like Bucky kind of felt like it was right for Sam and Sam kind of said, okay, you know, I, what did you think about that? I, I loved the conversation hmm. between Steve and Sam. And even though Bucky wasn't in the conversation, you know, they, they do a moment where Sam looks over at him Yeah, and Bucky, Bucky kind of nods, nods. In approval. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and I loved that they, they had that moment in the movie, so we don't have to worry about them fighting over the shield because that's right. what I was worried about. Exactly. Uh, 
because we, you know, again, going back to the streaming service in Disney Plus, we know we're getting a Winter Soldier and the Falcon series at some point down be, the road, that'd be so which awesome. I love. I'm I'm very excited about it, but I didn't want the whole series to be about them fighting over who's going to be Captain America. Mm-hmm. So I was glad that Steve did it the way he did it, and I like the. Sam, you know, was kind of like, I don't know that this is mine or, you know, whatever, whatever he actually said. But Steve said exactly what he needed to say, which is you're a good man, Sam. Mm -hmm. And that's that's why it's him instead of Bucky. And not that there's any difference in the two of them as far as abilities or capability of being Captain America. Mm -hmm. But. I think with everything Bucky has been through, yeah, that I think Steve didn't want to put that pressure on Bucky. Yeah, that's fair. Because I, I think that would have been a little bit too much for Bucky to live up to. Bucky's going to be a great Winter Soldier and a great partner to the Falcon, but I think but the fact he... that it, you know, Steve looked at him and said, "You're a good man, Sam." And and that's right. all it was. Yeah, it's, it, it was an anointing. Does, will we will he be the Falcon anymore? Then will the Buck will the Winter Soldier and Falcon show be the Winter Soldier and Captain America show? Will I, I don't know. Like uh, what, where that's do you go? what I wondered if if they were doing all of this, you know, will it be a pre-promotional to? stuff for the launch of Disney Plus? Mm-hmm. You know, they they had to announce these shows were going to be on the service. But I do kind of wonder, like you said, if they're going to change it now. You know, obviously they couldn't say, "Hey, it's going to be the Winter Soldier and Captain America," because everybody would have said, "Oh, Chris Evans," and they'd be like, "Well," and then you ruined. Yeah, yes. exactly. So you can't do that. Um, all right, we got to. And, and you know, I, before we move on to Tony, you know, just to put a bow on the the kind of handing over of the shield, um, I do really love. Anthony Mackie in that role. Yeah, and yeah. like you said earlier, like I love what they've done with Bucky and Sam interacting. It's almost like, you know, somebody, you know, Steve had two best friends at two different points in his life and they came together yeah. and they're friends because they know how much they love Steve. Yep. And they've kind of bonded over their friendship with somebody else, which I think is cool. It is. I, well, the other thing, though, about Steve is his, uh, is his decision to not come back and to stay. Now, once again, we have to have the caveat of Marvel Cinematic Universe time travel apparently doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> the way think, yeah. that would have just undone everything they've done, you know, because he wasn't. So, I mean, so we have to assume that. Did okay. He, did he create a does pocket universe where he did all that and then he came back? Or, I mean, it, it doesn't. It Look, more than anything else in the movie, that makes no sense at all. And yet it feels right somehow. And I don't know what well, to do with that. Okay, here's here's how I'm justifying it in my mind until they tell me different. Okay. I I think he he completed his mission. He he put all of the stones back where they belonged at, at the moment they were taken. So he did that, right? So mm-hmm. everything's good with the universe. 
And then he went back to be with Peggy. And we never found out in any of the movies who she married. We knew she was married. That came out in Winter Soldier or Civil War. One of the two. So we knew she was married. We knew she had a family. Right. But they never mentioned who she married. Right. So isn't it possible that Steve Rogers went back in time to be with her and he's the person that she married and had a family with and that they could reveal because he's still alive. He's just old now. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's where he is now in the MCU. He's just an old man in the present day who has lived his life since he, he got together with her in the past. Isn't it possible that he could still have been involved with shield at some point? Yeah. I mean, mean, isn't it possible if they do uh, period piece movies set in like the fifties or sixties that he could be a part of it? Yeah. It's just hard to imagine that he was now alive in all those times and didn't take an active hand to prevent things from happening or causing things to go differently. But it depends on what happens and it depends on how they happen because you know, and and we'll kind of touch on this when we get to where things are going. But I think there's a way that that Chris Evans could play Steve Rogers ten, fifteen years down the road if they wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It does make sense. It's just I don't because that's the one thing is that we know that they've got at least four or five movies in pre-production or already in production that are shooting now. So. Anything that they do from this point forward is going to be after those movies come out, which is at least three or four years down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I, so there, there's a way that they could do it, and it would be a good surprise, and and it would fit with where they've left Steve Rogers at this point. So I don't know that Chris Evans would do it, but I, but I agree with you that it would be possible, technically. Yeah. Not, not if he had to be in the whole movie. If it was a cameo, I think he would definitely do it. That's a good point. Um, all right. As we get to Tony, I've got to say that when I really think about it, the character that was, that had the most, the, 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 the character in the MCU that arguably had the longest character arc with the most change that took till the very last minute to achieve it is pepper because from day one, okay. From day one of the MCU in Iron Man, she has been dead set against him being Iron Man, especially by the time of Iron Man three, I guess. Is that when she really started saying you need to wrap this up? You need to settle down. Um, and she's, yeah. all, 
she's always been wanting him to stop, 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 stop. In fact, the whole scene with her in Infinity War was her saying, you've got to stop. The things hanging in your closet need to be clothes and not suits of armor and everything. And that was a whole big thing about, you know, no more surprises and all. And so she's been, you know, you need to stop. You need to not do this anymore. And you get to the end of this movie and it felt like she finally kind of at the very end said, I'm going to lose him, but he has to do this and I have to let him. I can't argue anymore. You know, this is, this is what it has to be. And to me, that was as powerful as anything because they earned it over years and movies and scenes. You know, we knew how she felt. We knew what she wanted. And to see her in this movie doing this, you know, having a suit of armor and fighting for one thing, and then, you know, doing everything that she did and having to come to grips with it all and basically let him go was incredibly powerful to me. Well, I mean, it starts earlier in the movie when they have that conversation in their house, in you know, on the couch, yes. when he's like, I did it. And she's like, what? And he and, says, I solved time travel. And I, and I said like, at that point, you know, I, I said to myself at that point, Jim, I said, they have to have this scene. He can't figure it out and go do it. He's got to sit down and talk to her about it because she needs to understand what he's doing and why. And she needs to kind of be okay with it. We're at the point right. now where yeah. she's got and, to be okay with this. Yeah, and that's kind of the point I wanted to make was that you you knew as you see him winding his way through the empty parking lot at the Avengers compound at full speed. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. He wouldn't have been doing that if Pepper hadn't told him it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way that mm-hmm. she would have let him risk his life the life of their daughter and what they had mm-hmm. as a family if she wasn't okay with it right so yeah I, I agree with you i mean that's it's it's a very subtle thing compared to all of the big stuff going on in the movie but it's it's important yes um I, and I was going to ask you how you felt because, and it's just a, a little thing, mostly because I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Pepper. I just don't like Gwyneth. Uh, the, at the end, when we kind of had a callback to the the moment in Infinity War when Peter is, you know, being turned to dust, you know, the tables were turned as Tony's kind of slowly dying and Peter comes up to him and starts talking and then Pepper comes up and just kind of elbows him out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) At least that's the way it seemed to me as I was watching it was she just kind of like pushes him out of the way so she can have her moment. I'm like, okay, don't ruin everybody can have their moment. (laughs) Yeah. I, that didn't, I I know what you're talking about. It, It didn't, resonate with me i guess mainly i was like okay peter get out of the way i was kind of on her side about it because you know you've you've i I, you know we i didn't i left spider-man off for some reason and i and i want to mention really quick that even though he wasn't in very much of this movie he 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 really is such a the way that this actor what's his name i can't remember 
Um, Tom Holland. Tom Holland, yeah. The way he plays him is just, to me, so much more effective than either of the actors before him. He's a hundred times better to me. And I yeah. like the other two okay. I thought the other two were fine. Yeah. But well, he's, he's amazing. I've said this. Yeah, I've said this about him uh, as Spider-Man. And I, and I don't know if I've mentioned it in any of the conversations you and I have had. To me, Tobey Maguire was the perfect Peter Parker. But I didn't really like him as Spider-Man as much. Yeah. And when they they rebooted and they brought Andrew Garfield in, I felt the opposite. I felt that Andrew Garfield was <laughs> the way I've always imagined Spider-Man. Yeah. But I didn't like him as Peter Parker. Parker. Yeah. That's and fair. then Tom Holland comes along <laughs> in Civil War and I was like, holy crap. Yep. And it's kind of the way you, you talked about when you saw Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark for the first time. Like, yeah. that's not how you imagine Tony Stark, yeah. but it is now. Right. And that's the way I think about Spider-Man. Like, Tom Holland cracked the code for me, yeah. and I love him as Peter Parker, mm-hmm. and I love him as Spider-Man. It is. That's it. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And the relationship with Tony, it just works so well. I mean, from the beginning, yeah. they've they've just had that great that great relationship. And I look back now and realize that Spider-Man Homecoming really was a gift for super super Iron Man fans like me because it's one more movie that we didn't have to have Iron Man and we did and have Downey one more extra time. And it, it could have been anything. It didn't have to have Iron Man in it, right? I mean, he could have been in it for two right. seconds. And so I'm really going to watch that movie again one of these days soon and, and appreciate that it's it's basically Marvel team-up, Iron Man, Spider-Man and Iron Man. And I, and I love that oh, yeah. about it. I love yeah, that yeah. about it. So lastly then, Tony is gone. And I mean, you know, for me, this is hard. I mean, this is like... Everything else about this movie, I was going to tell you, I can't remember. There have been some big movies, right, that have come along. There's been the Lord of the Rings movies for me, especially the first one and the third one. You know, the some of the Star Wars movies that meant a lot to me and so on and so forth. Ready Player One. Um, but I can't remember any movie, certainly recently other than maybe Ready Player One, just because it meant so much to me personally, where I was absolutely wrapped with attention Every second, and and that was a that was a two hour movie. This was a three hour movie, where for three solid hours I couldn't blink. You know what I mean? I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. And so, this movie is is so is so effective. I haven't decided yet. You know, in terms of how good it is, in terms of ooh, I love it and I want to watch it a million times or not. It 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 may be to have too much darkness in it for me and my taste to want to watch it a bunch. Like I told you, I I only watched the first. 35 40 minutes of infinity war over and over again and i kind of stop it but but for all that this movie for all that it was so powerful and so important and i just couldn't take a breath i couldn't blink my eyes through the whole thing this movie ends with my favorite character dying and it makes me sad yeah and it's you know that's not a blot on the movie itself as a movie because I think it, it did what it needed to do 
But I still, I'm not happy about that, Jim. <laughs> I'm, I'm not supposed to be happy about that. Am right. I, I don't know. Oh, so. Yeah, you're right. You're not supposed to be happy about it. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're left feeling the way you're supposed to feel. Yeah. I'm still wrestling with it. So what did you think about the decision to do that and play it out the way they did and have Tony be the and And that moment, right? That moment where Tony looks at Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange holds up that one finger like, this is the only chance we have. It was, it, there, it, it was like an unspoken moment where Doctor Strange was basically saying, you know what you have to do and there's no other way than this and you don't have a choice. Is that how you read it? Right. Yeah, yeah because yeah, especially with their exchange earlier, in the the battle when mm-hmm. you know to, Tony flat out asked him, he's like, "Hey, you told me yeah. that you looked at fourteen billion possibilities, and we only won one of them. Is this it? Is this it? Right? You know, I, you know, it was almost like he was looking for confirmation that that they had done the right thing yeah. up to that point, absolutely, and that they were going to win. And you know, for for Strange to look at him and say, "I can't tell you because if I tell you, it's not going to happen." Yeah. Yeah, yep. you know, even because even then, that was one of the things that the Russos and Marcus and McFeely had working against them with this movie is when you leave Infinity War, everybody knows there's only one outcome where the Avengers win and Thanos loses. Mm-hmm. So obviously. Endgame is about that one outcome. Mm. And if you know going into it that the heroes are going to win no matter what happens, where's the conflict and the drama? You know, yeah, part of it is all of the roadblocks and all of the shenanigans that have to happen to get you from point A to point B. But they also have to leave themselves some wiggle room at the end so that you don't know who's going to come out of it. And there was a part of me, I'm going to be honest, uh, right before the end of the battle, there was a part of me that thought maybe they're going to be audacious enough to not kill anybody. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what that means for the MCU moving forward, but maybe just maybe they've suckered everybody into thinking this is going to be a bloodbath and we're just going to kill off you know all of the major characters to make room for these new characters and i thought for a second hey they might not do that yeah uh, um, but then when i realized that tony was going to die hmm. i knew he was going to be the only one and i thought okay everybody else is safe because for one, if nothing else, Robert Downey Jr. deserves to have that moment since it all started with him. It's true. And whether you like him, don't like him, the one thing you have to admit is the first Iron Man succeeds because of him. Yes. Yes. It really does. And if that movie doesn't work, then we don't have the other 21 that come after it. Absolutely. We, we, we don't. I mean, the, Marvel can say that they had this plan for phase one and they wanted to make an Avengers movie, you know, after they did the solo movies, but you have to get the solo movies to work to get you to Avengers. That's right. 
And if Iron Man didn't work, I don't know that they would have made Thor or Captain America. Or that anybody would have gone to see him if they had. I mean, they yeah. weren't, they weren't so, huge. They weren't huge at the time, you know. They did okay, well, they were, but everybody was but waiting. The, for... the definition of huge was a well, lot different. No, I mean, <laughs> it, you didn't really have a blockbuster until you had Avengers and then Iron Man three, and that was because of Downey. When it was just Thor yeah. by himself and just Cap by himself, the hardcore fans were like, "Oh, a Thor movie, oh, a Captain America movie," but they weren't blockbusters in the in the sense we look about it now. They were successful yeah. enough. Yeah, I mean, well, and I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying is that I think that that Marvel, in a way, has changed the scale a little bit yeah. of what we consider a blockbuster because that's Iron right. Man was very successful at the time. Yes. Or else, you know, we wouldn't have gotten anything after that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the every movie that came out raised the bar even higher. It certainly and, did. And, you know, to the point where we're we're talking about a movie that came out on Thursday of the the week that we're recording this and it potentially can make a billion dollars in a 4-day period of time. Unbelievable. Worldwide. Yeah. Like that's crazy. It is. I think that looking back now, I think the one that really changed the game in some ways the most after Iron Man just establishing it was Guardians of the Galaxy. Because up until then, if it had Iron Man in it, it made a lot of money. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Avengers all made a lot of money. Thor didn't make so much money. Cap didn't make so much money. When Guardians of the Galaxy came out... This was a completely different crew, had nothing to do with the Avengers, had nothing to do with Iron Man, nothing, nothing, nothing. The only thing it had going with it is it was in the same universe, and it made tons of money and shocked the world, and that was when I think they realized that they basically had a license to print money without Robert Downey, you know what I mean? Without without right. him being directly in his little his particular stick, which, which I love. So, All right, well... I have to. I may have to do a whole other show just on Iron Man, just to kind of deal with all that, because I have I have emotional issues. I, I was going to say, are we? You, you're going to need to put together a show that's awake for yeah, Tony was, Stark and the MCU. I was tearing up twice at the end of this movie. Uh, clearly, somebody had uh, sprayed some kind of uh, tear gas in the <laughs> theater, and one of them was was the Tony business, and the other was the Cap business at the end. But. Um, but uh, yeah, I will. I'll. I have more to say about that. But I want to wrap things up here. We want to talk about where we think things are going. Uh, what What do you think? Phase four and beyond. Where do we go now? We've lost the top cream of the crop of this uh, to some degree. We don't know about Thor uh, of this whole everything up to this point. So, well, I, I think you said something early on in the show that. Hours it, ago. It's going to be interesting to... <laughs> what's that? I said hours ago. <laughs> yeah, hours ago, yeah. This show's going to be as long as the movie. Um, you said something early on that it's going to be interesting to see if it's true or not. And that is how they are going to announce the the upcoming slate yeah. of yeah. Marvel movies. If they're going to do it in shorter phases... Uh, or if they're going to do this whole epic five-year plan again. I don't. I think you're right that they're Feige's not going to do that again no. for a while, uh, unless there's a reason to, on par with Infinity War. Um, so I think what 
what they're going to do is after Spider-Man Far From Home comes out and has had a couple of weeks out there and they, they may even wait until after it's over and, you know, mm-hmm. do something at the end of the year or in the fall, maybe uh, you'll see them do one of these press events in a theater and Kevin Feige, you'll stand on a stage and they'll show the timeline with the logos for the next movies. But I think you're just going to get, Hey, this is what's coming out in 2020. This is what we have planned for 2021. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that, I think that there were benefits to announcing the whole thing at once. And there were drawbacks. The benefits were early and then they kind of faded and all you were left with was the drawbacks that you'd already shown your hand. And you don't want the audience to know that much, honestly. Now, and- the the only th- way that I think that will change and, and could see them going in the direction of announcing a four-year or five-year plan is if at the end of that plan is coming out in May of 2024 or May of 2025 – is Marvel's The Uncanny X-Men or Marvel's The Fantastic Four. Oh, please, Lord, hear my prayer, yes. And if if they're going to end the presentation with that, or maybe Marvel's New Avengers, Mm. whatever whatever they're going to do with the Avengers as a brand moving forward, if that's going to be the capstone of the next phase, I could see them doing it. But it also means that they have to know what the big event is that's going to end it or what direction they're going with integrating all of the Fox properties back into the MCU. Yeah. And I don't see them doing a major four or five year plan announcement unless they've answered those questions yet. Right. No, I agree. I think until they answer those questions, we're going to get, here's what's coming out in the next year or two. Yeah. Well, look, here's how I see it. There's two kinds of movies we could be seeing. There's one kind we know we'll be seeing, and there's there's one kind we're not so sure. We know that there'll be a Black Panther 2. They'd be stupid not to do that. There will probably be a Doctor Strange 2, and why not? I liked Doctor Strange way better in these two Avengers movies than I did in his own movie, so I'm certainly looking forward to seeing a mature, confident, very powerful Doctor Strange for a change instead of a just learning what it's all about Doctor Strange. That'll be a lot more fun. Um, We know there'll be another Guardians of the Galaxy, hopefully with Warlock and Thor and who knows what all going on there. Right, so in other words, we've got, and there'll probably be another Spider-Man. In other words, there's there's the there's the part twos and part threes of Captain Marvel, right? There'll surely be a Captain Marvel two, and we all know we're yeah. we're kind of anxious to see what's going on in there. Will it fill in the previous gap or will it go forward? Um, but then there's the movies like you were just saying that we don't know what they're going to be and how they'll fit in. Well, there's the Eternals too, which is a whole new thing. But it's it's kind of like the Guardians where you just bring out a whole new team. Um. But then there's this the Fox stuff. There's the Fantastic Four. There's the X-Men. There's the Silver Surfer, right? There's, there's things that we have no idea. I don't think Faggy's even barely sat down yet and started even thinking about it. He needed to get this done, and who could blame him? Yeah. So 
Yeah, they're going to have to have some big meetings and some big conversations uh, uh, moving forward before I think they're wanting to tell us anything beyond another Black Panther movie, another Captain Marvel movie. Yeah, I mean, and those only go so far too, right? They haven't done more than three of anything like that. So that's kind of a stopgap as well. That'll get us through the next, what, three, four, five years at the most. you know. And then, and then at that point, even that's over with, probably run its course. So then you're looking at the, the 2020s being the decade of the Fantastic Four and, and the new X-Men maybe and a new Avengers team. I, I, but I do hope they keep doing Avengers movies because I've said this many times before. You know, the British understand you have a property, you just replace the actors and keep going. So you have a bunch of James Bonds, you have a bunch of Doctor Who's, right? You have a bunch of Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Americans are like, oh, the actors are done. We must end the franchise. And I'm like, no, come on. So if we it, clearly Marvel has opted for the American style here with this particular deal. And I, I get that. They're not just replacing them. They're just, yeah. But, um, but we've got Avengers left that we can keep using. You've got Sam, you know, you've got Captain Marvel, you've got War Machine, you've got Hulk still around. You've got plenty, you've got hopefully Wanda and hopefully a Vision back. Uh, you got uh, Winter Soldier. There's plenty of Avengers left to keep going and keep making Avengers movies without the with the old guard, you know. So, yeah. would, would, aren't, aren't you hoping for like an Avengers five, the new the new batch or something? Well, yeah, because we've talked about that before. That yeah. when they started bringing in the the newer group of characters, like. I was already looking forward to that mm-hmm. when they announced Doctor Strange and Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Because I thought, well, those are your replacements for yeah. Thor and Cap and Iron Man. Yeah. And and they almost fill the same sort of roles as the characters that are leaving, in a way. It's true. I mean, you know, Black Panther is... You know, Tony Stark. He is. He really is. I mean, Thank, well, he and he, his sister he together. You, <laughs> he brings you the technology aspect of it. Yeah. And everything that Tony brings you with that and the money. Mm-hmm. And he's physically replacing Captain America. That's as true. As kind of the, the punchy, fighty guy yeah. on the team, right? Yep. So, and then Doctor Strange is, you know, basically bringing you the mystical side of things that Thor brings you. Mm-hmm. But he's also kind of, you know, Thor in a way, because he knows everything about stuff that's happening outside of earth. Yeah. And all of the, the galactic stuff that he could bring to the table. And then captain Marvel does, you know, all of them basically, because she's as powerful as Thor. Mm-hmm. She's the leader that Captain America is. Yeah, they have similar personalities, I think, which I like. So, I mean, she she checks off some of those boxes too. So, I was looking forward to that when they announced the characters, and I thought, oh, well, this is going to be cool because you know I would like to see an Avengers movie that is Captain Marvel and Black Panther and Doctor Strange and Ant-Man. Oh, yeah. And Falcon. And, you know, if, if you know, Wanda and Vision are still around, have them a part of the team. Yeah, that would be cool. And the Wasp. Uh, 
it, yeah, and the Wasp, and it, it just, you don't know what the long-term plan's going to be knowing that they've got all of those Fox properties to bring in mm-hmm. and how they're going to do that. And, you know, I've kind of, I, I floated out to somebody the other day and I said, you know, what if they, they use all of the cosmic properties that they're building? So the Eternals, Captain Marvel, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's your, your entryway to introducing Silver Surfer and Galactus, right? Oh, yeah. And, and them as a concept, which could lead to Galactus coming to Earth to feed on Earth. Yeah. Which is, you know, a big event movie somewhere down the road, right? Uh, I certainly hope so. All, all of the Earthbound movies, so, and I guess Doctor Strange could, could be in there too, but, so then all your Earthbound movies, so like your Ant-Man, your Doctor Strange... You know, what else have they, Black Widow, I guess, Hmm. even if it's a period piece set in the past, could introduce, that's your entryway into introducing the mutant population Hmm. and leading to the X-Men. Because you can start dropping all of these breadcrumbs story-wise in the movies you already have planned. You can just start introducing these concepts and they don't have to be a big part of the movie. And and we don't even know what the Eternals could lead to. That could open up a whole other right. avenue for stuff. Well, so. I was surprised because I heard that Hercules yeah. is a character in the Eternals. And I was like, that's interesting that they're going to open that doorway to Hercules with the Eternals. Um, but then I wanted to, to mention three things for you. Okay. Before we wrap things up, because I, I already mentioned that they can use the Galactic movies to to bring in Galactus, um, but one there were a couple of things that they just kind of dropped in as plot points in this movie that I thought, man, they could really expand on that and use it to introduce the Fantastic Four, or introduce Galactus. When early in the movie, when before they went to go fight Thanos the first time when they were trying to figure out where he was uh, the the exposition heavy scene at mm-hmm. Avengers Compound mm-hmm. where Rocket makes the point that when Thanos used the Infinity Gauntlet on Earth that it made Earth like this galactic hot spot for galactic energies or whatever he whatever you know sci-fi stuff he was throwing around <laughs> would that not be like ringing the dinner bell for galactus yeah absolutely well just like i said it was also ringing the bell for kang you know if you wanted to do that well, well and that was the other thing i wanted to mention is that if so here's and this is this is pure conjecture and fantasy at this point like this is ultimate fan fiction but i think you'll like where i'm gonna go with this so Tony Stark invented time travel, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, he solved it, right? Yep. So instead of Kang being connected to Reed Richards and being, like, some ancestor slash descendant of Reed Richards... And Doctor Doom. And Doctor Doom and, and being connected to the Fantastic Four... 
Like, couldn't you introduce Kang as being a descendant of Tony Stark? Absolutely. Who is using Stark's time travel technology and has, like, perfected it and created, like, his own time machine and... Absolutely. And, or, or and could could it not be Tony Stark from the past since, <laughs> you know, t- time travel rules don't matter? And, and, the, and, the, and the way you get Robert Downey Jr. to play him like 15 years from now <laughs> is that it's it's a Tony Stark who has been traveling through time so much that he's an older version of Tony Stark. Yeah. Like... He's been time traveling for like 40 years. Maybe so lost his mind a little bit when, too. When he becomes Kang, he's like in his 60s. Yeah, I could so see that. I'd rather get, be a different character, but yeah. Big, yeah, but you get the big shocking reveal when mm. Kang takes his helmet off. Yeah. That it's yeah. like old Tony yeah. or a Tony from a different dimension or something. If, if, if only somebody had done something like that near the end of the Sentinels series. Oh, wait, I did. <laughs> you did. Well, that would be something else that they could but, uh, rip you off for. <laughs> but, yeah, I was just going to say that in the Young Avengers, Iron the Iron Man fig character basically is young Kang, so there is even a connection right? there. And the crossing seemed to indicate that they were connected, too. So, Yeah, and, and I, it wouldn't surprise me. If they they somehow made that connection at some point oh. with the MCU Kang, since Tony's the one that solved time travel. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, the the third thing. So I I think the the Infinity Stones being used on Earth is just ringing the dinner bell for Galactus to come and and devour our planet, uh, and that that's going to be one of the ways that they could use to get him here. Um, Kang was the second one. So here's my third fan fiction thing, and it would be amazing if they did this. So at Tony's funeral, which we haven't really touched on, they have that shot of them going from person to person that's at the funeral. Did you know who everybody was that was there? No, there were like two people I did not recognize. Okay, so who were the two, and I, where were they? I don't and know. I'll, I'll tell you exactly who they were. <laughs> well, one of them I realized later was Carol with her short hair and like a black dress. Yes. But it seemed like there was a woman. I don't remember. Honestly, I've only seen it once, Jim, and okay. it was yesterday. So, I don't remember. So if you remember, cause, and you can go and look online because this is now becoming a big mystery that the Internet had to solve. Okay. And the Russos meant it to be that way. Okay. Um as the camera's kind of moving from group to group. Yeah. I and, and I thought it was funny because it's like it starts off with obviously uh Pepper and their daughter right there at the end of the dock and then uh Rody's there mm-hmm. with Happy and then Caps right behind them and then Thor's there, Bruce is there, the rest of the Avengers that survived. Then it goes over to the Ant-Man group. And it was almost like, okay, now we're going to show you the future of the MCU because we can make movies with these people. And they show the Ant-Man team. Mm-hmm. And then they move over to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. And then it moved over to Black Panther and yep. his group. Yep. <clears throat> and then it moved to uh, Wanda and Bucky 
and Sam. Yeah. Then in the back by the house Mm -hmm. was Carol. Yep. And and William Hurt made a cameo as Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah. But between those two groups was a kid, was was kind of like a young, like 20-something kid. And you didn't know who that was. And because he wasn't with anybody else. And it's the kid that was in Iron Man 3. Oh, okay. And he's, you know, obviously he's grown up since then. Okay. Um, but they had him in there. And I thought to myself, you know what would be cool? Is if somewhere down the line, if they decided, you know, like four or five years from now, that they wanted to do another Iron Man movie. That they used that character as Iron Man. <laughs> because Tony set him up with his own workshop. So you have no idea what that kid's inventing in his workshop. Wow. But if they could reboot Iron Man with that character and, you know, have Pepper say, hey, you know what? The world does need Iron Man. And, you know, I got to feel like they will they will somehow. I don't know if it'll be that way like, or how, some, but somehow. Not that the world needs War Machine. Right. <laughs> not that the world needs rescue, but right. the world needs an Iron Man. Yeah. And you're the person that Tony thought would be a good Iron Man if he ever retired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're onto something there. Um, I think on that note, since we've gotten to the funeral and, and dissected the crowd there, I think we are out of time. So, Wow, um, that was a, an emotional and fascinating walk through a very emotional and fascinating movie. And um, I think now I'm just going to have to go back and see it again and, and, and try to figure out even more about how I felt about it, because I still don't know. I, I recognize it as a towering, towering achievement. I don't know that Marvel can do anything this grandiose again in our lifetimes, maybe. It'll, you know, be, it'll I, be a while. I think you're right because there's so much emotion that we've tied up with these people that played these parts. And, you know, I, I know, you know, we've, we've talked over the years about when they get to this point, do they recast the parts? Do they yeah. have new actors play these roles or do yeah. they kill off the characters? Do they have them retire? What do they do? And I, I have to be honest. I mean, I think this is as close to perfect as they could get Yeah, as a way to end this portion of the MCU. I mean, they, they gave Tony the ending that he deserved and, and should have had as you know, his out was sacrificing himself and making sure the world was a better place. And he did it. And I think they gave Steve the out that he deserved and, and needed. And everybody else is, is where they should be at this point. And it's going to be fun to see where they all go from here. Well, and I'll, I'll just 
my concluding thought is I, I understand what you're saying there, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe was where I went when I lost interest in the comics. And in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I still had my Iron Man. And now, from this point going forward, the Marvel Cinematic Universe no longer has my Iron Man, and that makes me sad. It now has sort of my Captain Marvel, which makes me happy, but it it's not exactly a one-to-one trade-off. It's a slight... I mean, as, as much as I adore Carol and the Captain Marvel character, it's losing Iron Man is a terrible loss, and I'm just going to have to deal with it. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. And I, and I understand. I mean, it's it's tough when it's your favorite character. Favorite one. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd go through the same thing when they killed off Han Solo. So. <laughs> That's, this is true. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on. And uh, this is the biggest uh, biggest White Rocket Avengers uh, episode we've ever done. And I think it was uh, worth it for this topic. So uh, Avengers Assemble. Yeah, now we got to find something else to talk about with each other. <laughs> This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.